0: Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary, and today you are going to hear Zach, Rigo, and myself shoot the shit on the Zero to a Million podcast. It's put on by Unstack. We speak about scaling startups, startup growth, startup marketing, startup sales, everything I love, um, and Zach is an incredible sales leader, and we really get quite tactical. I really hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of Zero to a Million brought to you by Unstack. I'm your host, Zach Rigo, and today I'm joined by Scott Clary, Senior Director of BizDev for Grass Valley and host of the Success Story podcast. Scott, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Well, thanks for having me on, Zach. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. We had uh, we had a good, you know, brief conversation before we jumped on here. But the the uh, we were talking about names of podcasts. You actually mentioned the Success Story Podcast. There's yeah. a lot of thought that went into that. We have a lot yeah. of clients and listeners that actually message me about starting a podcast. Give me the background that you just told me on on why you needed right. that and and kind of the theory behind it.
2: Well, the po- the podcast actually started off. Um, it was actually originally called Sales Versus Marketing, and I I. Did that because that's kind of my background and that's what I've sort of done for my entire career. Um, but I wanted to open it up a little bit and I wanted to bring in some other perspectives because I love listening to Ken Ferris and I like how he brings in other ideas on how to live your best life, you know, productivity. Uh, uh, habits and whatnot that that can allow you and help you to succeed. But I knew that I didn't want to just get those from VPs of sales or directors of sales or VPs of marketing. So I wanted to open it up, and that's why I named it Success Story. And I also named it I, I named it Success Story. Um, and like I mentioned before, correctly or incorrectly, because I thought that it would uh, bring on guests that wanted to speak about themselves and uh paint the podcast in a positive light because what do people like speaking about? They like speaking about themselves and they can tell their own story. I thought that, that would make them more apt to want to come on a chat with me. So that's <laughs> that's how that's how it got
1: I started. It. Yeah. I love it. I know I was I was mentioning the the Nathan Locke piece where he mentioned you know he named it the top podcast because people were yeah. searching the top podcast. Yeah. those strategies are so smart. We ours actually not a great strategy zero to a million was something that actually one of our customers said in a review. It's like, hey, Unstack's the first platform I bought that actually helped me go from zero to a million in revenue in less than a year. Cool. That's what we're going to name think, it. I like the uh, name.
2: I, I, you'd have to look up the keyword yeah, see if it uh, brings any traffic. It does I actually, I actually it like it. <laughs> I like It's a catchy name. It's a catchy name. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's where I got it from. You know, the, sh- the shitty thing is is when people do like the top podcast, like we were ranked, you know, one of the top par- podcasts for startups. They didn't, they didn't actually like number them. They did it in alphabetical order, mm. so we were dead last, which,
2: oh, which stinks. Oh, that sucks. So I just that know,
1: sucks. I'm used, to, I'm used to it. My name's Zach. Like I'm always, I've I've historically been <laughs> last. I think it's a it chip on my shoulder, but something to something to think about for the the listeners is maybe don't start your podcast name with Z because it tends to be the last one that people run with. That's uh,
2: hilarious. Uh, that's really really funny. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. Well, you can always rebrand. it yeah, but yeah, I I really do like whatever.
1: Yeah. Whatever. There's some therapist somewhere down the line in my life that's going to get paid a bunch because of that. <laughs> so now let's uh, We got into the background of the podcast. Let's, let's go into your story a bit. I think it's interesting. You've talked a lot about, um, you know, small companies, big companies. Mm-hmm. Today, I want to focus on, you know, leading sales and marketing. And you've been a sales and, and marketing leader for a long time for mm-hmm. various size organizations. So I want to get your perspective on that. But um, take me through a bit of your career before we jump into kind of the topic for the day.
2: Sure. Um, so started off, as uh, as most people do in sales, as an individual contributor. Um, throughout university, I was working for a large telco, uh, Bell Canada, um, and worked my way uh, from the stores when I was still selling cell phones and internet packages in the stores through to uh, working in a call center and went SMB, you know, mid-enterprise. So working for progressively larger markets, I spent about seven and a half, eight years with Bell. Um, and that's really where I got my my chops, and that's where I started to learn how to sell and and how much money you could make um in sales and, and in tech sales uh, background has nothing to do with tech or sales. family is not uh, even in private industry, like you know, father uh, was a cop and then moved into um, uh, like government work and whatnot. Um, actually, most of my family is uh, they're all police uh, pretty much so. Going into private and tech, was uh, I was a little bit you know, outside the box of what my family thought I would be. But I I enjoyed it. I loved it. I was good at it. Um, I'm a nerd at heart. So that really did help uh, me sort of acclimate to that sort of career choice. And realistically, I was either going to, you know, sort of the plan was when I was younger, um, either make money in tech and make money like, you know, in private industry, moving through the ranks and being a director, VP, you know, CXO. or go back to school and go to law school. And that was sort of the two career paths. And, um, you know, tech has worked out well for me. Sales worked out well for me. Um, And I made a lot of money as an individual, like an individual contributor, always progressively a little bit more than like my peers at that level. So I'm like, you know, this this can't be that bad. Um, So after Bell, I went to another company. That's where I sort of moved into my first leadership role uh, managing and and leading sales, also having more of a hand in the marketing component of building out an organization. I had to learn some things there, realizing that in a large company, when you're working in a sales, in the sales business unit, you don't really have access to marketing you don't really understand what position or what impact it has on, you know, your number or your customers in a company, the size of bell, when you move into a smaller company and small company, I'm talking about 50 people, $10 million in revenue plus minus, um, you start to see the direct uh, correlation and the, the need for congruence across those two different business units, um, and understanding that and knowing where my end goal, where I wanted my end goal to be, to be, you know, CXO at fortune, 100 fortune, 500, I realized that if I didn't figure out marketing and the marketing components, I don't come from a university background in marketing. Um, I, I would be, I wouldn't be as effective as I could be, um, in building out sales and commercial and revenue strategy. So, um, sort of just dived into marketing as much as I could and just understanding and consuming, um, the word, uh, I like to use that I actually learned from an individual in my podcast is auto autodidact. Somebody who just like is obsessed with learning everything themselves. Like you just, you're going to podcast, YouTube, whatever, consume as much as you possibly can. Um, and, uh, after that role in that, in that sales leadership role, I actually went into, uh, consulting for a long time, acting as fractional CXO for companies, some of them were tech companies. Some of them were not tech companies. I, ha- I was working with some partners at the time um, and it was traditional consulting, but it was really building out, like take the market strategy for companies or just improving their existing marketing strategy. I found out that a lot of companies don't like being told they can't sell, but they're okay being told they can't market. I don't know why, but that just seemed to be <laughs> that seemed. So we focus on marketing strategies more um, than, than true sales strategies, but of course my sales background definitely helped a lot. Uh, worked with a whole bunch of startups out of the University of Toronto in Canada, where I, uh, I'm from, uh, was working with incredible founders, working, you know, very disruptive technologies, uh, very, um, I would say, product-focused founders, uh, PhDs, developers, and helping them understand how to position their product and how to sell their product or market their product to the average consumer. We're talking like, you know, space technology, uh, blockchain, AI, machine learning, health tech, like stuff that was really... Uh, revolutionary. It was actually at, um, an incubator at Creative Destruction Labs, uh, which is similar to like a Canadian Y Combinator for like a reference point. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, then I went back to working for somebody, mostly because I realized that what we were doing and the amount we were working wasn't truly sustainable. So we had built a nice consulting practice. We brought a whole bunch of executives together and we were, and we were doing good work. Um, but none of us had ever really scaled a consulting practice before and it was a lot of work like we're talking like you put in your 40 hours for your client and then you're putting in another 40 hours to actually build your own consulting brand um so it was it was a ton of work um i felt that i could do a little bit more working in software tech again so i went back to work for somebody um which is sort of the You know, the working for that person, ExciteM, is what's leading me or has led me to where I'm at now. So when I went back to work for somebody, uh, and wasn't just doing consulting, um, I was hired on to basically help a smaller company, ExciteM, bring their SaaS products to market through a much larger company, Grass Valley. Um, So at the time, uh, two separate entities, but we, they, Grass Valley had exclusivity on ExciteM's IP. So, uh, but, but that being said. ExciteM was a dev shop, more or less. And Grass Valley had only ever really sold hardware or infrastructure solutions. They never really had somebody who had sold or marketed um, tech or SaaS products um, or software products. So that was sort of my role. It was to bring these products to market, help Grass Valley understand how to sell software products, even like recurring revenue products versus like a one-time PO. Uh, it's a much different Mentality and much different sale, different decision makers, uh, different things you have to consider when you're actually pitching a product and marketing a product that's a recurring revenue product versus, again, like, you know, like a $20 million, $10 million sale on, on expensive hardware, which Grass Valley was used to selling. Um, so that went quite well, been doing that for about two years and a bit now. Um, proved uh, significant, like we've we proven product market fit. We scaled the revenue of the SaaS and the software coming from Excitem uh Grass Valley about you know a month ago now based on when we're recording this uh executed on the agreement to actually purchase its item because we proved out that we could sell our software through Grass Valley um and that's more or less what I've been working on and that's what I'm still working on so we're just doubling down on uh you know Grass Valley is a big company obviously coming in as a as a small little software almost like uh you you said it before I can't remember the word you used like um uh there was a, a word you used, Innovation. innovation yeah, like yeah, an innovation team almost like we're like a, a fraction of the revenue, but we're growing and they want to double down on bringing in new ideas, new products. And that's sort of that's sort of us. And that's what I'm that's what I'm responsible for right now. That's sort of my background.
1: No, that's amazing. I think the uh, the consulting work super interesting. I think when we talk, you know, when we look at our uh, customer base and our audience is is very much kind of that early stage founder yeah, or fa- early stage marketer. Um, the marketer is typically the first hire, right? And I think what's really yeah. interesting that you probably got a lot of exposure to as a fractional you know, CMO or, or yeah. CRO, whatever role you you were taking on there is what am I doing day to day? And then where should this person I'm consulting for start to fill the gaps with hiring? Yeah. And that's really where I'd love to go deep with you is kind of understand like, how is that hiring process? I think, well, like I got hired by Grant and Steve, like the hell yes. were they thinking, right? Like that was a that was a decision they made at some point of like hey we need this kind of person when did you see that those startups were starting to think about okay now it's time to to hire either a sales or a marketing leader to come in and and really you know take what scott's built or the consulting yeah. team's built and and run with it
2: so i would say uh and this and you don't need to hire a consulting team to achieve this level or this threshold but i would say that uh this is the advice i would give any founder Sell 50 of your product, sell 50 of your widget once you've sold 50. And this is not like, I, this is something I believe in. And you'll hear it echoed amongst other people that work with founders, successful founders and s- successful startups. So sell 50 of your widget or your product. Um, and that's when you can start to map out your customer profiles, your, your target customer profiles, your buyer personas, because now you have a, a sample set of people that you've sold to. And that can sort of lay the groundwork for that sales playbook that you can eventually give over to your first revenue hire. And we can also talk about, you know, who that revenue hire should be. But I would say first sell your 50 of anything, and then you've proven that there's a need for it. Don't hire somebody to sell your first thing, because if as a founder, if you can't sell that first thing, uh, then don't expect someone else to. So that's not, that's sort of like my threshold. Like after you sold 50 of it yourself or say with a consultant. Um, but I would still say even like I would actually argue, say like you should just sell it yourself. Because you're gonna have to sell a lot over your career as a founder. It doesn't matter if you're a developer, product-oriented developer uh, product-oriented founder doesn't matter. You're gonna have to sell a lot. You're gonna have to sell to raise more money on your next round. You're gonna have to sell your product again and again and again. You're gonna have to sell your idea and your vision to your employees, which is very important early on to get them to buy into you because there's a good chance you can't offer them half as much as what they could get somewhere else in some other company. So you have to sell a lot every single day. And by testing your ability to sell your product to 50 people. It could be people that you're close to, your network, your peers, whatever it may be. Maybe your your peers of your peers, whatever it is. Uh, I think that's a good test. And once you've sold 50 of that, then you can go and then you can hire a revenue executive. And let's talk about that. Because I also think founders screw this up a lot as well. We We can agree or disagree. I'm curious what your opinion is on this as well, but I always say hire marketing first. And then once you have that demand, then you can hire a sales, a VP sales to map out the playbook. I think the issue that uh, a lot of founders have is they think of sales in the old school sales method, the pure outbound, cold, go hard, hit the pavement, dial for dollars, whatever it may be, and make sales that way. And if they don't want to do that, they hire a VP sales to do that. I think you have a backwards. I think the founder should be selling first. They hire a VP of marketing or somebody to develop demand. Once that demand is coming in and the founder can no longer handle those sales calls or those, or those demos, that's when you hire a VP sales to build out a sales process and to hire a sales team. The VP sales is not responsible for understanding how to find product market fit, the VP of sales is responsible for building out sales process. VP of sales is not responsible for developing demand for your product. That's marketing. So founder 50 sales, VP marketing, then VP sales. To uh to and and that first VP sales can take that overflow because you have all this demand coming in, right? And the, the founder can't handle that. Now that VP sales can take some of that overflow. So that's how I generally recommend people build out that commercial organization.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I came in, uh it's funny you mentioned like the the, the founder running the demos. So Grant was running the demos. Yeah. It's actually how we got connected. I actually I always reach out to founders that raise money and I say, in a LinkedIn message, congrats, you know, happy yeah. to review your demo if you're still running them and, and give you some feedback. I've got X number of years doing, you know, sales demo, uh, running sales demos and coaching up, you know, hundreds of reps on sales demos. And that's Grant actually took me up on. He was like, yeah, please. Can you listen to my demo? It's horrible. And then I we started a, a relationship from there. Right. And then, and then, you know, eight months later, I I kind of came on board. Um, but he, he wanted to hire me as, uh, a VP of of sales. And I was like, yeah, like I want to lead marketing also Mm. my my vision, similar to yours. Like I want to be a revenue leader. And I, as a general manager got to lead sales and marketing and loved, loved that. Like I love doing it together. Um, But you're totally right. I think you got to learn to drive demand and, and hiring that next, you know, salesperson is uh, it's a game of calculus. Like you've got, it's a calculation that you've got to make based on the demand you've driven. Um, and then we actually, you know, unfortunately let go a salesperson when I came on board because there just wasn't enough lead flow for me and him to be doing, you know, enough demos to scale the business and like long-term, like that's a a little bit of a step back, but it was the right move for the business and for him. Um, so that, that, you know, to your question earlier, I do agree with you. Uh, it's been challenging (laughs) running both, which I think we both signed up for (laughs) sometimes and, um, you know, I think when you, when you think about skill sets, so let's talk about kind of the, the marketing leader, because sure. there are a bunch of places you can hire in marketing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm I'm strong in some pieces of marketing, I'm very weak in others. And I'm willing yeah. to admit that and Grant's fully aware of that. Um, where do you see that marketing leader, you know, needing to be strong for that early stage company where the founder is still typically probably running the demo? And and how, how would you go about hiring for that?
2: So um, obviously there's always going to be variables like whether or not you're venture backed or you're bootstrapped and how that's going to impact your, your business. Money, money makes a difference. But still at, the, at its core, um, you have to understand, I think, the personality, of the person that should be working for a startup. And also what you cannot expect the marketing leader to do is to be good at everything, because that's another issue in and of itself. When you expect the marketing leader to be good at writing copy, uh, technical SEO, Um, putting together videos strong with graphic and, you know, creative. Um, that's it's a, it's a recipe for, it is truly a recipe for failure. So I think that you have to have somebody who first of all, is, is excited about working for a startup. So they, uh, they are the personality type that is extremely curious is, uh, is tenacious is trying to figure things out and almost prove themselves in a way because they haven't come from a 30-year background in one particular set of marketing. I actually like people that are, and I I hope this isn't a cop-out answer, but I like people that are just very curious versus coming from a specific stream of marketing Um, because somebody who's curious will try their best at everything, figure out what works, and then double down on it. And I think that's the best way to hire for a startup marketer. So I think that somebody who doesn't mind trying different things, seeing what works, um, one person who does this, uh, uh, what one company does this very well. Um, so AppSumo, so their founder, Noah, and I'm, I'm blanking on his last name. I think Kagan right now. Um, he speaks, yeah, I think it's Kagan. Uh, so he speaks about quite often about how he brings a product from zero to a thousand users, and his general strategy is just try everything go go soup you know, go traditional, like write some copy, post on some social, uh, go in to see like really niche obscure like blogs, sites, whatever communities, uh, start a podcast, put out a video, go on hacker, you know hacker news, go on product hunt, whatever, try everything and see what works and see what doesn't. And then double down. But you're if you have somebody that's like has these preset ideas of what marketing is and what marketing isn't, and they're not willing to try new things, then I think as a as a startup, you're really selling yourself short. Um, so that's why I actually like people that are a little bit more like technically to be junior, but I don't like using the word junior. It just means like they just don't have these preconceived notions that are imprinted and ingrained in them. And that's a kind of marketer that I would like to hire somebody who is trying to just do every single thing in the world and seeing what works. And I think that's what you have to have.
1: Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that a founder the other day posted in in a community I'm a part of. It's a SaaS community. One of the founders posted like, where do I post this job description to find a, a VP of growth?
2: And yeah, it's like, yeah.
1: oh. Like LinkedIn, you know, Indeed, it's like, no, like none of those places really like post it and, uh, and, you know, go and talk to every VC firm you've ever talked to and ask them if they know somebody because you need someone that's been in the trenches before because guess what? Yeah. If they haven't, they don't want to be back down there again. Like, you know, it's, it's a game changer going from.
2: It's tough. It's, it's a tough job. And that's why like, even like things like it's silly, but when you're, when you're, when you're interviewing for a startup, like. If somebody is asking like, and this is, I don't say this is, this is great, but this is the reality. That's why I actually advise people to not work for startups because I feel like it's a lot more work than they actually expect, right? But if you have somebody who's like, what are the benefits? How much vacation do I get? Like, what? A, like these are the things that somebody who actually is gonna succeed in a startup will not care about as much. And it's not that you shouldn't care about these things. You should, you should respect your career and you should focus on getting the best possible situation for yourself. But I'm saying that if people are thinking that they're going to get big company perks in a startup, they're not, it's going to be hell. And it's going to be, it's going to be, and you have to have a special kind of like fucked up personality. to want to go into that and subject yourself to that mostly because you are either going to, you think you're going to exit rich with some sort of equity component, which you probably aren't to be honest or you just wanna learn, which is okay. If you actually wanna learn everything there is about a business and you think that's gonna benefit you, then fine, then you can go into a startup. But I would say that it's like a fast track MBA and then some probably more education than you'll ever get in an MBA uh, combined with like, like just like hellish workload and environments and never knowing what's gonna happen, never knowing if you're gonna have a job next. Like It's not a fun environment for a lot of people, especially coming from a large organization. So again, you have to have a certain kind of mindset to go into that, but if you can find that person, and they're probably just as crazy as the founder being like that first you know like two three four five employees um if you can find them then that's the person you hire and if they have an aptitude and a yearning to learn how to market then they'll they'll do fine but you just have to find those those crazy people that are just want to explore everything and it's tough it is very tough to find those people but that's why startups don't succeed like it's that's the reason why
1: it's totally true. I've mentored a couple uh, you know, former colleagues and and reps that worked for me that are, you know, out on the prowl looking for the next job. And yeah. they're all like, Oh man, these startups just don't pay as much. And it's like, yeah, like yeah. there's a reason. Like they don't have as much yeah. money like they're a startup, yeah. right? Like you're gonna get one of two things. You're either gonna go get money or you're gonna yeah. get a shitload of experience. It's hard to get both. Like if someone's paying you a bunch of money, then they've already got a system built and you're just a sl- you're plugging into a seat. Exactly. Right. And if they've I love got no money, then guess what? You don't plug into a seat. You are flying around by the seat of your pants, yeah. not knowing what the hell is coming up tomorrow, but you're getting a shitload of experience. And like, yeah. tell everyone that it's like, listen, you got one or two things with a job, mm-hmm. money or experience. It's hard to really get both. Um, and and I think that's you know something that I thought a lot about when I was making, you know, my next move is like, do I just want to go get you know, a job that pays me a bunch and I just kind of fit in somewhere or do I want to go get a bunch of experience and see what it does for my career? So I think that's a, that's a good point you mentioned.
2: You should think about something. I love the way you phrase that. You should think about something. If you join a startup, you should have a goal in mind, a reason for why you're joining a startup. And it can't be to exit. It has to be. I need to go in here. It's like you're going in here to experience every possible scenario that a business could be subjected to. And then you're gonna take that and you're going to start your own company or you're going to use that knowledge to go into a larger organization and completely change the way that they do business in a very positive way because you're bringing in these experience and these learnings that most people in a large organization that have been there for the past 30 years do not have. So you should have a plan. Like your plan should not be join startup and become a millionaire because we exited, uh, you know, in five years with uh, we IPO. That's not a realistic plan. So have a have a reason and and be and love learning. And that's that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I talk to these these folks that I'm mentoring, and I've said this on other podcasts. I haven't said it on this podcast, but an exercise that mentor of mine who's been on the podcast, Ralph Foles, made me do was write the job you want. Like write the whole yeah. job description. Go on the internet and look for the job you want, take the job description, yeah. and then like highlight what you don't have yet and I figure like out that. how the hell you can get paid to do that. Right. And I do that. I've done it three times in my career. I did it early when I was a sales rep. I've quickly realized I do not want to be a VP of sales. Like I just I don't <laughs> know that that just didn't it's like a appeal to me. Yeah. Uh, it is. It is. Um, you know, and I started to rewrite it and rewrite it. And I got into the general manager role and it opened up my eyes. Like, Whoa, Like, here's what I could really do. Um, and I did it again before I took the next job. And like, it's you're exactly right. Write down the experiences you want. Think about how you can get paid to learn that stuff. Yeah. Might not be as much money as you can get paid, but you'll make it back, you know, two or three fold yeah. down the line. So yeah, um, I, I love that you, you, you talked about going from growth leader to scale leads, you know, marketing mm. leader to scale leads, and then hiring that that VP of sales. Uh, a, a VP of sales for a startup is not a VP of sales for an organization that has, geez, even two managers and twenty five sales reps. So, take yeah. take me through the 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 skills that that VP of sales needs to be successful um, at that early stage, you know, startup that's really got. Founders engineer, product, a marketer, and then first sales hire coming in
2: so I think that um, the one skill they don't need, which is a big skill that they will have to learn later on, is the ability to manage leaders of other individuals That's something they do not need yet, which is actually a blessing because that's a very difficult skill and it's very hard to help people lead other people um, I think that Uh, the skills required to be a VP of sales for a startup. If you literally just look at the sales process, so you're writing great emails, you have great subject lines, you write great copy, you can put together cadences between you know, your email, your LinkedIn, maybe SMS, if you use it or phone, you know how to do all those components well So that top of funnel. And then you know how to uh, do discovery calls, you know how to book demos, you know get people on discovery, then you know, get them over to a product demo. You know how to do great demos and then you know how to negotiate and you know how to close. You have to know how to like, like every sales leader should know how to do all these components. Um, some people, I think that are non-sales move into like in a large organization. They're more like a, a strategy or high level as opposed to like, you know, getting very in the weeds. But every sales leader should know these. But in a in a startup, the sales leader has to be basically a full cycle sales rep. And then be able to understand, be self-aware enough to understand the process that they have for each component in the sales cycle. And then to codify that, to write that down and to be able to teach, teach it to other people. So it's just about being, it's about basically being the best at every, every piece of the, of the sales sales funnel, cause you're doing it and then you're teaching it. And I think that that's probably one of the most important pieces to be able to be good at all the different components of actually selling. So you're not just, if you're just a, like a closer, say you work like a, a tradition, like inside, outside organization, and you're just good at demos and closing and negotiating. Um, uh, and you're not great at setting appointments or you're not great at cold calling or you're, you know, you have an aversion to getting on the phone with people or whatever it may be. Um, I think that you're going to fall short as a sales leader because you're going to be, being forced to teach people things that you're not comfortable doing yourself the best vp sales at startups literally just do everything themselves and then they can do it with a reasonable level of proficiency and then that's how people will learn from them because you're going to be hard-pressed to tell somebody they they you know they're not calling or or leaving the proper voicemails if you never picked up the phone in front of your rep it's hard to do that so you got to lead by example and then again that be able to codify that so not just and another thing too, not just like being the best sales rep and just having this like, uh, you know, almost the best sales reps to turn into the sales leaders and they don't know their own process. And you just, you just accidentally close everything because you're some charismatic person who just became a really good sales rep that doesn't make a great leader either because you, you're not self-aware enough to know the process and the steps. So if you're not self-aware and you can't teach somebody, then all you're going to be doing is chasing deals and you're not effective. You're not scalable so you have to be able to actually codify and write everything down and build out that playbook right that playbook that's what your job is to build out that playbook um so those are kind of the things that i think that a sales a, a vp sales at a startup should be aware of
1: totally what what uh what titles should a founder be looking for when they're <laughs> when they're going to hire because i think there is it's easy to go and put, I'm looking for a VP of sales, so I'm going to look for a VP of sales. Yeah. And I don't think that that is the right strategy. I'd love your opinion on that.
2: Yeah, um, that's a that's an interesting question. I've never really thought about that. Uh, but it shouldn't be a VP of sales they should be looking for, right? Like, obviously, that's not the person they should be looking for. I would say somebody who... I would say i would say like a sales manager or a director of sales in a mid-sized company could be some who's ambitious who's again younger in their career not set in their ways wanting to go and work an obscene amount of hours to prove themselves or to prove something or to learn something but if you're looking for a vp of sales and you think like a you know maybe some retired vp of sales from a from an f500 is going to come in and and be effective they won't and and it's, it's happened. i've seen i've seen VPs of sales that have extensive careers and for whatever reason they're not working at the time and they're going back into the workforce and they and the the startup just thinks wow we got a great deal we got this person who has like 40 years experience leading sales teams and they had like a they had like you know 12 direct reports and 500 indirect reports or 3000 indirect reports and we're going to like that's not it and they won't know what to do because they haven't made a phone call in like 30 years 20 years. Yeah, whatever it may be. And that's not that's just not it. So you can call it VP sales if you want. But I would definitely be a little bit more explicit because that's going to upset people too. And it's going to waste your time waste everybody else's time. If you're advertising, like you're some, you know, large organization VP sales, and then you actually then you then you have these interviews, with these very high level individuals, and it's just wasting their time, your time. So don't do that. I would just say, like sales leader, Head of Sales, uh, you know, startup sales leader, like stuff like that. Like you can call it a VP Sales if it makes you feel better, but I don't think that attracts the right people.
1: Totally, no, you're you're yeah. spot on. I I actually, when I was going through my interview process, not that I have a chip on my shoulder, but I do, uh, I got <laughs> turned down for a job uh, with one of the companies that I was like super interested in, um, and Grant and 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 the Unstack thing was kind of like always the job I wanted. This yeah. one came up through a VC that I was I'm friendly with, and they had just raised some money and. I was like, oh, this is an interesting one. Went through the whole process and I lost to this, this gentleman that was much more senior than me. Mm-hmm. Much better resume, probably, you know, just because he's had more experience. Yeah. But man, I bet you they gave him a I bet you they gave him a, a phone and yeah. uh a keyboard and basically said, All right, here's the people that have visited our website. And yeah. he was out of that job within four weeks. Now, granted, I well, started on Stack and I was fine. Oh, that's it pretty was very. I bet you he tried to dial that phone and got hung up on three times and was like, oh, man, this stinks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so But well, you're, you're so spot I, on. I've seen that happen.
2: I've seen that happen, but not not four weeks. I'm talking like six months or, or, or eight months or like after some time. But that's <laughs> that's really bad. That's pretty bad.
1: I think it's just not a fit. I reached out to my PC buddy. I was like, wow, that didn't work out, huh? <laughs> He's yeah. like, no, just not the <laughs> yeah. right. Not the right fit." I was like. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. This guy, no is, this guy was sitting in a corner office somewhere looking at the skyline for 10 years, which thing. is an amazing job. It I is. Want to get and there. also,
2: that's not you don't want to be like, I think that's why startups are misrepresented as these sexy opportunities. And everybody just wants to join a startup. Nobody knows. Nobody has any context. Like, I would join it. I would join a company after like a, maybe a series B or C. That's exciting. Okay, Whatever. They have some momentum. You know, they just raise one hundred million dollars. That's pretty exciting. Right. That's a fun thing. Well, that's but not like a, To that, me that's
1: not a startup anymore. Dude.
2: To, well, that's <laughs> because you've worked with startups. But if you if you yeah. have if you if you if you haven't, then you then you think everything from like, you know, uh, two two co founders on Angels list is like something you want to go work for, right? And that's not really the case. Exactly. Or Angel List, whatever, yeah. yeah. Anyways,
1: it's, it's funny you say that. My buddy, my buddy's, my buddy's looking for a new job. He's in like data security, and he's like, "Oh, I interviewed for this startup the other day. They've raised five hundred million dollars." And I was like, "You realize that's not a startup anymore. Like they have seven hundred fifty or a thousand employees. Like they've raised a half a billion dollars. Like they're they're going to be public in two months. They're not that's, a startup. Like so that's a startup. A, well, that's is, a difference, right? You know, it's like a culture five of a people startup. In the basement.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's that's a true startup. <laughs> that's a true startup." Maybe they have like maybe they have like kombucha and ping pong tables or whatever in their office, but like you're not starting <laughs> <Yeah>. up anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, they got a they got a they got a whole floor of the WeWork in downtown Raleigh is not making oh, okay. a startup. I promise that's you. not a that's, a that's a more expensive lease than yeah. any other lease in Raleigh right now. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Scott, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, thank you for coming on board. Last no, question pleasure, we man. ask every guest: Yeah. two books you recommend every founder reads.
2: Sure, and I'm I, you know you mentioned that uh, I can I can give you sales books but I'm not going to give you sales books because I don't think sales books are, are the best books for for founders so two books that I, I'm gonna do three because two probably a lot of people have already heard of on this show um, so atomic habits uh, by James clear and grit by Angela Duckworth those are two incredible books for how to uh, just be a more productive better person professional that I really believe you have to be to succeed in it. Uh, you know, uh, excel and succeed, excuse me, uh, in a startup environment. Um, So those are two great reads. Um, And uh, the third one, uh, it's co-authored by four individuals and I can't remember their names, but it's Play Bigger. And it's about uh, creating categories um, I think they reference uh, Mark Benioff and Salesforce and how we create, that's one of the case studies they talk about, they talk about other things as well. Cause they're, I think a, a group of four consultants that work with a lot of startups, but they speak about how Mark Benioff and Salesforce created the category of cloud software and then dominated it. And I thought that was a very cool concept because a lot of entrepreneurs think, how do I build a product in an existing category? Whereas that book is all about how do I create something, a whole industry, a whole category industry that nobody's ever heard of, and then sell a product to that industry that I've literally just created that is brand new. And I thought that was a very interesting concept because I think that it's truly, everybody who starts a business is is by definition an entrepreneur. I don't mean to downplay people who create incredible products and just, you know, competition in, uh, in in a very crowded environment, but people that create a brand new category, like for example, you know, Elon Musk creating private, uh, sp- like space, like space flight, or Mark Benioff really creating the cloud computing movement when everything was in servers in offices. I think those are true innovators. So I like the way that it forces you to think about entrepreneurship.
1: It's funny. Uh, timing's impeccable. I, I'm reading tools of titans like i just try to yeah, like, read a chapter a day for, yeah from tim ferris and the chapter i just read last night i don't know who he's talking about with it but he talks about like not worry. Like, you don't have to create a new category you can create a subcategory to differentiate it's your product and the example he uses is like ibm and digital digital created what they call the mini computer it was roughly the exact same thing as you know ibm's mainframes just slightly yeah. smaller but they they named it You know, this mini computer, which became its own category within the kind of server space. And it was like, all right. So he gave like 10 examples, but like you're so spot on. It's like Elon Musk didn't invent space travel as a category. He invented private space travel as a category. And like now it's a, you know, revolutionary, you know, business and actually scaling quite well. So uh, I love that tip in that book. Uh, I I have to read that. That's been, that's actually hasn't been recommended yet. So I'm in. Uh, Scott, where can everyone find you, connect with you, and and learn more about what you're doing?
2: Yeah, sure. So I guess uh, I'll drop I'll drop three things. So first would be website scottdclary.com. You can find everything there. You can go to uh, successstorypodcast.com or on any social. Um, very very fortunate at Scott D Clary. So it's all across <laughs> all, nice. all across every social. You can hit me up there. Damn. Yeah,
1: yeah, not bad there's one yeah, of those to go and he's way faster to get everything <laughs> than me. <laughs> yeah. Scott, I appreciate yeah. you coming on. It's been a pleasure catching up with you.
2: No, my pleasure, man. Thank you so much.